Hey, welcome. Here we are on December 29th. You know, I really had to give this some thought because, you know, if you got people who are coming to church between Christmas and New Year's, I mean, you really, you, you really ought to make it worth their while, especially a year like this year, right? I mean, Christmas on a Wednesday, New Year's on a Wednesday. I mean, right, what's the obvious choice? Just take the whole week off, go somewhere far, far away, sunshine and warmth, and let those people to church worry about themselves. So I am really, really grateful that you have chosen to be here. If you're watching online, maybe later catching the video feed, uh, I say, great, good for you. I'm glad you're getting a vacation time because let's face it, anybody who lives in this metro area, there are not many slackers surviving in Montgomery County and D.C. and the greater D.C. area. I mean, let's face it, it's a hard, stressful place to work and live. So if you got time off and you're watching this later, we're, we're good on you, as the Aussies say. We're, we're, we're glad for you. But of course, as a pastor, I'm really grateful for those who showed up. So thank you. And I, uh, I, I have to say, in, in, in honor of your sacrifice of being here on that Sunday in between Christmas and New Year's, I thought I want to make it worth your while. So I was trying to, trying to give some thought to it. And by the way, talking about being here, uh, we were joking on the way in, and I said, oh, nobody on drums today. And somebody said, well, we need another drummer. I said, we got four. We got four. Two of them are in the Philippines doing missions work. Well, they should just be here playing the drums. You know, one's visiting family. Well, what kind of a son is that? <laughs> and the other one is at a conference, student conference. So you know what? Amen, right? Uh, we miss having the drums, but we are grateful for what God is doing in their lives and other places. And that's kind of what church is like. No, you, you don't get saved by coming to church. Sitting in church, as we always say, is kind of like sitting in a garage. It doesn't make you a car, right? And sitting in church doesn't make you a Christian. But by gathering with the saints and hearing the Word of God and growing closer to Him, then you are equipped to go out and do what these folks are doing, being discipled at a conference, serving the poor, caring about people in other places. I'm, I couldn't be prouder of all four of our drummers today. So wherever you are, God's peace on you, drummers. And uh, so then as I thought, well, I want to make it really good for you guys who have taken the time to be here, I thought, what should I do? I thought maybe I would give you one of the Ed Williams top 10 greatest hit classic Christmas messages. But as far as I know, that doesn't exist, so that really kind of knocked that out. And on an in-between kind of week like this, you know, there, I'll give you a little insight into how some preachers and churches strategize. One of the things you think about is, well, people are coming in, they got family visiting, they've had a lot on, you know, going on with all the holidays. Maybe we just go with something light, something a little fluffy. Yeah, you want to be careful because pretty soon thereafter you get into superficial and, I mean, really what's the point, right? So you can, you can kind of go that route or you can say, you know what? People who have cared enough to come out on a day like today want to make it worth their while, do something substantial. So that's the route I have chosen to take. I, I thought, you know, if people have made the effort to be here together as God's people on the Sunday in between Christmas and New Year's, you deserve something meaty. Maybe not super long, okay, I know you always tell me that, but, but something substantial, something meaty, something worthwhile. So uh, with the help of some input and inspiration from some friends at Willow, the book Descending into Greatness, I, I highly commend it. What we're going to do today is we're going to study what I think is one of the most substantial 
passages of the Bible that can be found, particularly about the incarnation of Jesus, which is extremely appropriate at Christmas time. So I invite you to take your Bible if you brought it with you, or use the one in the Purack if you want. Open up to Philippians chapter 2. It's a well-known passage, a well-known passage, but I want to pick up in verse 6. And it's talking about Jesus, of course. And it says, Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. And it doesn't mean reach out and take for the first time when it says grasp. It means clung to, not willing to turn loose, okay? He did not consider equality with God something that he would not let loose of. He let loose of it indeed. He made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And in my humble opinion, this passage captures as well and maybe better than any other the full weight the full meaning of the splendor, the majesty of the incarnation of Jesus Christ, which is what we've been celebrating. You can say, we've been celebrating the birth of a baby. Yes, the incarnation, the enfleshment, the becoming human of God. And I would like to refer to this. We Christians sometimes do, but I think sometimes we forget. This is the real meaning of Christmas, my friends. Even more than the riches of friendship that are celebrated at the end of It's a Wonderful Life, which I love that movie and I love that message, and I think it's true that people who have friends are very, very rich indeed. That's not the real meaning of Christmas. Everybody needs a big heart, just like the Grinch teaches us with Dr. Seuss's story. But you know something? That's not the real meaning of Christmas. The real meaning of Christmas is that God took on flesh in the incarnation of Jesus Christ. In this little baby Jesus, and you know, I was thinking about whose heart isn't melted? Even Jonathan's up here talking about little ones. I mean, you know... Whose heart is not melted by a baby? It's a beautiful thing. And part of the amazing thing about babies, I think that strikes us, and we call it the miracle of childbirth, you know, they start out as an embryo. They, the scientists tell me, smaller than one half of a grain of sand. I, I'm old enough now, I can't see a grain of sand anymore. <laughs> so a half of a grain of sand? Think about that. And, and then they get born and they start to grow and soon we're treating them like little people. But here's the amazing thing that we have to grasp about Jesus is that he didn't start out as something smaller than half of a grain of sand. He was God before he was ever an embryo. So wrap your minds around this for just a moment. First, he's God. Then he's an embryo. And then he's the little baby in the manger that we all celebrate at Christmas time. 
And this passage that we just looked at in Philippians, Jesus being in very nature God, what that means is equal with God. He is God. Equal with the Father. Equal with the Spirit. And, and I, I don't know about you, I want to make sure we disabuse this notion here today. I, I think that far too many people still think, when they think about Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, they take that word second and they think, oh, he's kind of like the vice president of the corporation. He's the junior partner. God the Father is the big kahuna, and Jesus is the junior partner. Kind of like, oh, I don't know, a backup quarterback. Oh, think about Colt McCoy to Alex Smith, mm, or the Case Keenum to Colt McCoy, or, mm, oh, or the Dwayne Haskins uh, to Case Keenum, or then Case Keenum back to Dwayne Haskins. Those of you who follow the Redskins know where I'm going with that. The other, you know, who's he talking about? If you're a Ravens fan, you're just going, Lamar, Lamar. But I digress. Because the Scriptures never present Jesus as anybody's backup. The Scriptures never present Jesus as anything less than what he is. Throughout the Bible, Jesus is carefully described the Son of God, a full-fledged member of what we call the Godhead, the Trinity, the three-in-one, God in three persons. Jesus is equal with God the Father, is equal with the Holy Spirit, is equal with Jesus, is equal with God the Father. That's what we're talking about here, folks. That's what the Bible teaches. And so when in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 3, it says the angels are constantly hovering around the throne. And folks, when I say constantly, understand we're talking about from eternity past until this very moment. When John has the vision, he's not glancing at something that was created for him. He's glancing at something in Revelation. Isaiah, when he glances, he's recording what he sees. It is present for all time. These angels are worshiping God around the throne, and they're singing, singing, holy, 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 holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Holy, holy, holy. And that's for Jesus, folks. That's for God the Father, and that's for the Holy Spirit. It's not for one or the other. Eternally present, the Trinity, Godhead. It's not about getting boring by singing repetitious words. Uh-uh-uh. It's about the heart. It's about the recognition of who God is. It is about the worship of God. Holy, holy, holy. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And then there's that little matter, right? <laughs> Always throws people off when they look at Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. And God says, let us make humankind in our image. Oh, uh, a lot of people read that the first time. Wait, wait, I thought we were talking about God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why didn't it say in his image? Because God is three in one. He is not a man. He is God. Father, Son, and Spirit. Jesus Christ was fully present from the moment of our creation, from before the foundation of the world until this very moment. And Jesus was involved in the entire creation process, that miraculous process that brought us into being. Go read Colossians chapter 1. Holy cow. 
Read John chapter 1. The Word became flesh. It was the Word that spoke things. In. This is Jesus we're talking about, folks. So we can talk about the baby in the manger. We can talk about the embryo, but understand before all of that, He's God. And why am I emphasizing that today? Because I want us to understand Jesus, before he was ever born, had all of heaven's recognition. He had all of heaven's prerogatives. They were all available to him, fully God in every way. And that's why it says he didn't cling to it. He let it go for us so that he could come here. Now, I want you to think about this. So if you start out as God and you end up as an embryo in the womb of a 15-year-old poor girl in an undeveloped nation in an undeveloped time. How would you see that? Would you perhaps see that as a demotion? (laughs) I mean, however you slice it, going from heaven with angels circling around you singing, holy, 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 worshiping you, to being this embryo in a 15-year-old girl in ancient Israel. Really? I don't know how else you see that. That's stepping down a long way. Stepping down, that's the actual definition of what a demotion is. Not motion, demotion. Jesus stepped down a long way. But that's kind of weird, isn't it? Because truth be told, don't we kind of hate demotions? I mean, I don't know that I've ever known anybody say, I'm looking for me a demotion in the coming year. Pastor, pray for me. If we, if we get demoted in a company or in an organization, we often leave that organization. If we don't get seated where we request to be seated in a restaurant, sometimes we say, you know what? If you can't seat me in a place I want to, I'm out of here. We leave. We walk out. If the rental car company, and as a tall guy, this matters to me, if the rental car company looks at you and says, oh, I'm sorry, we had to put you in a compact car instead of that SUV you reserved. You know what I do, right? Next counter over. Hertz gets left behind, and now we're over here to whoever. We're going to find somebody that can give us what? What we want. Why? Because we don't sit still for a demotion. We sometimes go ballistic. We sometimes rant and rave. Sometimes we just get angry, but nobody likes demotions. And yet, I want you to think about this from now on, folks. When you celebrate, when we celebrate Christmas, we are marking the single greatest demotion of all time. Jesus stepped down. That's why I love the title of the book, Descending into Greatness. Oh, he did right. He did what he was supposed to do, but oh, it it was a demotion. Why did it happen? How could it happen? Because Jesus did not consider equality as part of the Godhead something for him to cling to for his own well-being. He accepted a demotion. I'll tell you a quick family story here. So, So a couple years ago, we took a family vacation trip to Canada. Uh, any Canadians in the, in, the, in the room today? There we go, Big Pete. Got some others. Good on you. All right. 
Hey, all right, good, 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 good to have you with us. All right, so we, we had gone through a, a lot of Canada. We end up in Quebec. We're pretty close to the Chateau Frontenac. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a downtown area. There, when you go for housing, there's not a lot to choose from because uh, it's a pricey part of town to stay in. Uh, and uh, so we looked around. It was more than we wanted to pay, uh, but we found ourselves uh, an Airbnb apartment. Pretty excited about it. We were driving in from out of town. I don't remember from what city to what city, but we're pulling in. It's toward the end of the day. The sun is going down. I'm always the driver. MB is always there with the iPad, checking the navigation, and Callie's just in the back trying to make sure I don't kill anybody as I change lanes and do what I'm supposed to do. So we pull up in front of this apartment house, this rather tall skyscraper building there, and uh, I, I let them off because you can't get into the parking garage until you've checked in because it's a fairly small number of places. So, so I'm out there in the car, and they go in. And it was a good thing, because here's what happens. As I'm out there on the, on the street in the car, Mary Beth and Callie go in, and they go to check in and to get access to the garage, and they get there, and the lobby hostess who was there managing all of the apartments, uh, she says, I'm sorry, we overbooked. And we had to give away your apartment. Now, I'm just going to put it this way. It was a gift from God that I was not in there. Those, you, you know me, right? I'm an emotional person. If I get my dander up, listen, it is not a good thing. It is not a good thing. I understand. I don't mind doing business. I don't mind paying for stuff, but I don't like getting jerked around when I've already given you my money, okay? It's going to get serious. It's going to get serious uh, in a hurry. I don't, I don't like being treated unfairly. I would probably have embarrassed myself and embarrassed God and embarrassed my family. So just as well, I wasn't in there. It was also a gift from God that I wasn't in there because had I done that and gone off like a rocket, which I do sometimes do, I might have missed when the attendant followed up by saying this about five seconds later. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to put you on the ninth floor in the penthouse. And instead of your two-bedroom, we're giving you a three-bedroom. And again, if I were there at this point, I would have interrupted her again. I'd have been, yay! But Mary Beth was there, and she had the good sense to get it on the record for the same price, right? And when they said, of course, then we were good to go. Now, you might think that's the story, but that's not the story because what happens is we go into this place, and uh, do I have to tell you, right, absolutely blew our minds, the ninth floor, top floor, and not only did you have the top floor apartment with the floor-to-ceiling glass windows, you could look out and see the beautiful city and all, but it actually had a staircase that went up to the roof where you had your private barbecue area and lounging furniture. And the reason I'm telling you about this is not to brag, but just to say, say this. When it came time to pack up and go home, I almost couldn't get my family and myself out of that penthouse. I mean, we had settled in like squatters. We said, you know, it's kind of, we might not be too bad to live in Quebec. It's, it's a pretty nice place. We love the views and the beauty and the luxury and, and the swanky elevator with the restricted access and no hauling of luggage around and stuff. It's all done. And nobody wanted to go back to our dump in Potomac. And, well, now I sound like I'm whining. Yeah, so I'll, I'll stop there. 
But that's what happens. You get into a really nice place, right? You don't want to leave. Someplace really beautiful and go back to someplace not nearly as beautiful. This is the point, right? Jesus was in heaven. Angels swirling around saying, holy, 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 we worship you. We worship you. You're Lord God Almighty. We worship you. The saints already in heaven, the people of God gathered in heaven at that point, already worshiping at the throne, worshiping, worshiping. Pretty nice place. And Jesus chose not to cling to that, but to give that up for us. All the adoration... Here's the hard part. We think about it as a place. I want you to think about it as time from eternity past. I mean, that's an infinite line going back that way. Been worshiped, loved, honored. That's all he had ever experienced his entire existence. And he gave that up. Wrap your head around that, and you begin to understand what it means to be demoted. You, mean what, you begin to understand what it means for someone to sacrifice. Because remember, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9 says this about heaven. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor has it ever entered the mind of a human being what heaven is like. It's so good you can't even imagine it. And he had experienced it from the beginning of eternity and gave it up for us. Holy cow. And let's understand something. Jesus did more than simply you know, become willing to leave heaven and become an embryo. He later endured the indignity of being born in an animal stable, surrounded by filthy livestock, because I don't care how good you take care of your animals in the first century, they're dirty animals. He was wrapped up in used rags to keep him warm, swaddling cloths. He was laid in a feed trough. That's a what a manger is. And if that weren't enough indignity, an earthly king who was here for a moment and then gone, an earthly king named Herod engineered in his honor a baby genocide so that before Jesus could ever walk or talk, he and his parents were running for their lives and became refugees and illegal aliens in a neighboring nation. That's what Jesus got greeted with in the first six months. Wow. And folks, you understand. You, you, uh, so when people get all worked up about undocumented people in our country, we got all kinds of politics in our church. And in our, but I also, you, we have to always remember this, my friends. The one we worship his parents ran for their lives to another country to protect their child. Don't, don't make light of people's sacrifice in doing that. 
Most of us don't even want to utter the words illegal alien. We're not sure how politically correct that is anymore. How about being one? And then they return. Even when they come back, they go back to Nazareth. You, want to, you know what Nazareth was? It was a nothing town. We quote that little verse, can anything good come out of Nazareth? That tells you how bad it was. That's like saying, can anybody educated come out of Podunkville? It was disrespected. So this is Jesus's, <laughs> Jesus leaves heaven for this, for a manger, for Nazareth. And, and the Bible says you can be demoted even further than that. Philippians 2.7, he took on the nature of a servant. And you know the stories of his life, what Jesus did for his father, washing his followers' feet, their dirty, stinking, manure-street-covered feet. I mean, that's just what happens. That's what Jesus did for his followers. That's a demotion, my friends. If you want to get demoted more than that, well, maybe you could teach the eternal truths that you've already lived out as part of the Trinity and get mocked at and scoffed and have your teaching rejected by people with a third-grade education. That's what happened to Jesus. But could you be demoted any further than that? Well, yeah, you could. You could be betrayed by somebody you've given your life to for three years. You could be arrested on false charges, convicted falsely, beaten, flogged, spit on, slapped around like a common criminal for an offense that you did not commit by the very people you created. You, you think that's not weird? Think about you being a parent, those of you who have a child, and your child is now an adult and has become a police officer, and they pull you over. And you think, oh, there's just a warning. To, no, here, pay the fine. How does that make you feel? Whoa, no gratitude after all I've done for you? <laughs> and Jesus comes to earth, and this is what he received. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. Couldn't possibly be demoted any lower than that. You know what? Not according to Philippians, because after verse 7 comes verse 8, and it says he became obedient unto death. Well, that's horrible. Oh, even death on a cross, the stinky, horrible, ugly, painful, atrocious death reserved for the worst of criminals. Heck, let's put Jesus up there. And what that means is this second person of the Holy Trinity who had ever, always, forever, always, only known sinlessness in his whole experience from eternity past to the moment he died on the cross in our place. Sinlessness, and he died with the full weight of our sins on him. And I know some of you clean up pretty good, but I can tell you, I got a stinking pile of sin that he had to take care of for me. I guarantee you. Imagine the whole sin. He bore the sin of the whole world. That's a demotion. The painful sin he had to carry. Stripped of his clothes, frog marched, pounded to a cross of crucifixion, left to suffer in humiliation until you die. Isn't that crazy? 
the author of life, the one who breathed life into Adam and Eve in the very beginning, submits himself, taking the nature of a servant and becoming obedient unto death. He submits himself to the ultimate weapon of evil, the bane of all humanity, death itself. The ultimate demotion when the giver of life gives up his own life and dies in our place. Now, I, can, I kind of imagine right now, some of you are thinking, uh, Pastor, I, I brought a friend with me today, and could you, you know, this is the holidays, could you maybe lighten up a little bit? Pastor, did you forget this is the happy Christmas season? Look at the lights and the shiny tree. We just opened presents a couple days ago. If I know some of you, heck, you can't wait to get out of here on this rainy day. Our church is over. Get home, get back into your pajamas, haul out the leftovers, sit down and try to find a good football game to watch. Not the Redskins, but somebody. <laughs> but pastor, please just lighten up. This is, this, is, this is too much. We need to start celebrating New Year's Day. Just a couple days there. Let's get it. I understand that. I understand that. Uh, that's why I said I thought about something light and fluffy. But it seemed to me that before we get to the year 2020, which you know you're going to hear endless, endless, endless comparisons about how 2020 is related to vision and you need to see clearly and see yourself into a good 2020 year and all these good things, vision 2020 plan and all this kind of stuff. I've been a part of so many of those. I, it, it's it's mind-boggling. But before we run off and leave 2019, Christmas in the dust, I wanted you, I hope you have today, I know that I was in this preparation, to be absolutely staggered once again at the miracle of the incarnation of the second person of the Trinity into the baby that we call Jesus. So from now on, whenever, the rest of your life, whenever you see a little baby in a nativity scene, whether it's one of those little creches in your home and maybe you're a collector and you got 50 of them, or maybe you put a big one out in your yard, or maybe you love to drive through the living nativity somewhere at some local church or whatever it is, I want you to remember he really is a miracle baby. He didn't just come from an embryo. He came from heaven, and he didn't have to leave that. He did not have to endure the serial indignities of all these demotions that we've noted that he took on throughout his life ending in death, but he agreed to do it. He, he agreed to vacate heaven, to suffer those indignities. The old gospel song says he could have called 10,000 angels and stopped it all, but he didn't for one single profound and mysterious reason. He loves us. My God, my God, he loves us. He wanted to redeem you and me. It was God's only plan. Do not think Jesus was God's plan B. This was always God's plan to send a Savior for those who needed saving. And Jesus couldn't stand the thought of spending eternity without you. Didn't want to spend it without me. <laughs> He'd be better off without me, I think. 
the Father asked him to leave heaven and do the redemptive mission, you know what Jesus said? I'll go. I'll let it, let it all go. Equality with the Father is not something to be grasped and clung to. I let it all go. I'll go gladly and I will seek and I will serve and I will save. I will do the mission. And I hope knowing that will make your Christmas 2019 and your Christmas every year for the rest of your life a little more memorable, a little more Jesus-centered. Now, before I let you go, I want to give one more application of what we've been talking about as you prepare for 2020. You've heard hints of it all through, and Ananda, I'm going to invite you wherever you are. I'm going to make your way up here to the piano. Um, as you think about what's coming in the year and years ahead, Philippians 2.7 says, Jesus took on the very nature of a servant. And so I want you to ask yourself this question. And that's what Jesus did. He gave up heaven and he took on the nature of a servant. So here's my question. Can the purposes of God in this world move forward? Can they progress in any meaningful way without the followers of Jesus also taking on the nature of a servant? Is it possible? I mean, how do the poor in this world receive any kind of help? How do they have any kind of hope unless a serious-minded Christ follower puts that serving towel back on their arm and humbles themselves and says, what can I do for you, and serves them and prays for them and feeds them and writes a check to help them? Somebody has to be demoted to serve. You, you, you're going to be stunned, I think, by some of the stories you're going to hear from the Philippines team when they get back. How do wayward, don't you love that word? How do wayward young people who have wandered off the path ever find their way back home to God? I'll tell you how. Some busy Christ follower has to lay aside their own stuff and their own carefully laid plans and their own stuff that they'd like to do for fun and put on a towel over their arm and become a servant to a young person. We have some right now who are chaperoning our young people at a conference in Baltimore. They're serving. And you don't, you don't, you don't serve the young people by getting annoyed at them by how they dress or how they cut their hair or, or what they do or what music they listen to or the fact that they all carry cell phones and do stuff that you wish you could do. But to see them, see them, to get to know them, to love them, to move toward them, to pray for them, to love them, to understand, to build into them, and to gently again and again point them to the arms of Christ and to welcome them into your own arms as a loving brother or sister in Christ. Somebody's got to serve like that. How do churches become powerful forces for good in our local community and around the world? It is simply when the Christ followers in that church look at the example of Jesus who volunteered to be demoted from heaven to a feeding trough, from a feeding trough to a wooden cross, all the time serving everyone who crossed his path. So, in 2020, 
I want to be more like Jesus. And I want you to be more like Jesus. And I figured if you're motivated enough to be here on the Sunday in between Christmas and New Year's, if you're motivated enough to show up on December 29th in the midst of all these vacation days, I figured that might just be your desire too. To be more like Jesus today and in the year ahead. I'm going to close by reading the end of Philippians 2, verses 9 through 11. Then Anand is going to sing a special song for us about servanthood. And my prayer for you is that you are a tremendous servant in 2020, because if you are, you will be more like Jesus. And if you are, here's how it plays out at the end. Therefore also, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So when Jesus was asked, who's the greatest in the kingdom of God? His answer, those who are servants. Put the serving towel on your arm. Accept a demotion. Get your attitude into serving. And you will have the same kind of blessing in your life that God gave to Jesus. He will bless you. He will honor that because you'll be more like Christ, the name above every name.